Hey everybody, and welcome to my desk. Um, it's another Sunday night, Hacker O'Clock. Time for me to chat about what's going on here at Desk of Lady Ada. I don't think there's any news for Mr. Lady Ada, right? No, we're going to have a full week of shows and more. All the schedules are up, so you can check out the Discord show schedules and more. Yeah, last Ra- week was short, but this week, yeah, most things are back. And uh, lots of fun surprises. And more this week. So, let's kick it off. What do you okay, want to talk about first? Well, let's go to the computer. I'll just show off this um, great church we did back in March in the before. That I, got, I got totally crushed by revisions. Um, we easily did like 25, 30 revisions of boards. And there's more to come. But I actually got to the point where um, the board revisions I'm doing now depend on me actually finding new components. Um, so, I've kind of like shifted back to trying to get more breakouts done so I can test out these new Um, alternative components. So one component that, you know, ironically, at the time we couldn't get the LISC-3 MDL, which is a triple axis magnetometer that we use for a lot of our IMU breakouts and also the clue and the feather sense. Um, And, uh, you know, it's a great magnetometer, but um, when we were buying it before, it was like a dollar or less, and now the price has tripled, basically. Um, We can't get it at a good price anymore. And you don't want to increase the price of the clue or the feather sense by five bucks. I'd really prefer to keep it at the price it is because everything else got more expensive. Um, so, you know, on the, a while ago, we, we checked out the MMC 5603, um, which is a very tiny magnetometer, but as you can see, has tons in stock um, at DigiKey and others. And um, it's a very simple sensor. It's fixed rate, although it has pretty high uh, data rate. Sorry, it's fixed range. 30 gauss, which is plenty. You don't want more than that. That's plenty to do, uh, you know, earth magnetic field detection and, you know, some basic magnetic uh, field detection. It's also 20-bit, which means it's um, pretty high resolution. Yeah, the I2C interface, I was playing with it this weekend because you know, I finally got the prototype together. Um, it's a little, it's got this annoyance that I've seen sometimes where um, the I2C has write-only registers which drive me a little crazy because it's like you have to cache the bits before you write them um so it's a little the driver's a little annoying but despite that it's not a very complicated sensor it's pretty easy to get up and running uh and i've got a little breakout here so let's go to the overhead and i can show off this breakout and i'll talk a little bit about my workflow so this is the the breakout and like this little sensor in the middle it's a four bga but you know what it wasn't too bad like i made two prototypes one came out one didn't um, you know, BGs are a little scary. On the other hand, you know, because they have the solder balls, it's okay if your paste deposition isn't perfect because the solder ball, like, it solder comes with, you know, so it, it melts into place. Um, and the XYZ axis, uh, I made the same as the list 3 MDL breakouts. This is kind of drop-in replacement. And then one of the things I'm trying to work on is how can I optimize my driver writing workflow because like I write a lot of drivers and I'm just again I'm just like so busy with so many revisions and like there's so much stuff going on I want to make sure that I can write the the circuit python python driver and Arduino driver very quickly and so I experimented with a different way of doing it this time where um I use an FT232H 
which is a USB to I squared C uh, SPI slash GPIO converter. And it's just nice because it's got a STEMIQT and I just plug it in. And then instead of writing the code on like a Feather M4, I'm actually writing it on my desktop. Um, and it's actually like, there's pros and cons to that. You know, one pro is I can clone the GitHub repo directly to my computer and then I'm like writing code. It doesn't have the fun auto refresh that CircuitPython has. Like I know you can kind of do that with shell scripts and and you know whatever cron jobs and whatever, but um, I just you know control C and rerun it. So um, at my computer, so if you want to go to my computer, so um, you know I have uh, under MicroPython I have all my libraries. So you know this is the Git clone from you know GitHub of. The library and then I can just open this up in you know my favorite editor and um, I edit the code and I update it and there's a couple of things that you know make uh, circuit you know circuit Python is like fa it is faster duration even even Python C Python on a computer is faster duration I'm used to writing the Arduino library first and then the Python code but I'm actually gonna experiment with the Python code first because I think it might be faster for me to iterate because there is um, you know, like I did make a mistake in this code, you know, when I first wrote it and I had like the wrong, uh, the, the byte array wasn't long enough. I, I like I had eight bytes, not nine bytes. And Python like tells you, Python's like, hey, you are indexing into an array past the limit of the array. Whereas Arduino like happily does it. It's like, hey, you want to keep reading past um, your memory pointer? Go for it. I will not stop you, which is, you know, a pro and a con of uh, Arduino and, and C, C++. So, you know, I write the code here and then I just run um, the code itself in, in the command prompt. You know, it's not as nice as a shell, um, but, you know, if I'm just running, you know, Python, it's fine. Uh, so if I want to say, you know, this example um, runs like once a second and prints out the, the data and I can shift this around. And if I want to speed it up, um, you know, I can open up the uh, example. And I just uh, change the sleep to be, you know, 0.1 seconds. We run it, and now it's it's faster. So you know, no less compile time, less upload time. So I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try this instead. The only thing is about the FT232H is I don't think it. Uh, I don't know if it does clock stretching. So I just have to kind of keep my eyes open for that. And um, you know, and then and then porting to Arduino. I think you know one thing I've noticed is that. Python, again, because you can just create objects, you can, you know, you're, you're, you don't have to do memory management and stuff. Um, when I ported to Arduino, I actually did kind of line by line and it was fine. It was, it was, it was pretty fast. So it only took me about like an hour and a half to write the Arduino library, two hours to write, write the CircuitPython library. So this way, you know, I get that full coverage of Raspberry Pi and CircuitPython and single board computers and CPython and then Arduino, which gets you everything else. Okay, one comment and then uh, one question yeah. as we move on. Um, for the drivers at Skirtroot, they've done CircuitPython version first, definitely helped, currently writing one for RTC, um, so it looks like that workflow is helpful. Um, Trying different things. Yeah, and then uh, next up, um, any progress on our ultra-wideband Featherwing uh, nope. and or can you recommend a ultra-wideband eval board? Yeah, the eval board that they sell is pretty cheap. It's a shield, but you can wire it. Um, actually, I have the, the prototype, just the PCBs came in. Not that it means it's going to get done anytime soon, yeah. 
But I thought the next thing I'd do is just quickly um, go through the prototype PC before we move on. Yeah. If you're using CPython, can you limit your resources to know if uh, the memory will be an issue on the microcontroller? No, but I kind of have a feeling. You know, yeah. I know I know the tips and tricks we use. I'm not I'm not too concerned about it. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not allocating a big. You know, I'm not importing NumPy. I'm not allocating a a large array. Um, we you know the the tips the tricks that we use to reduce allocations. Like I've I've well established. You know, when you do. We use you know the register uh, library to do register reads, which is a little memory intensive. But I also I'm not willing to restrict libraries to make them memory small. I've I've sort of I've just sort of moved on past that. It's like not that's not important to me anymore. Okay. Um, so yeah, let me I'll, let me go to the overhead and we'll I'll just quickly go through some prototypes. Okay. As and far as uh, predictions on stock stuff, um, any S3 feathers you think are in the pipeline? Well, we have the S3 Feather and the S3 TFT Feather. Yeah. Both of them, I think we were just waiting on um, S3 modules, and I think they came in. So Okay, so yeah. those, those There's are... no reason not to, but I just don't know when, when exactly. Those okay, are. so those are those are looking good. Don't yeah, lie. I think it's fine. I mean, there's some there's some components people are like, hey, when is this coming in? And I'm like, I, you know, I do not know when we're getting that part again. But those are not part restricted. Good. Okay. Do you want to do overhead? For yeah, there's the overhead. We can, we can see I got a big pile of stuff. So I got my... JLC PCB, so I can kind of just go through the yeah. the components. I won't take them out of the bag. So this is um, this is the Gerber files called Buddha because Phil is making also three printed Buddha. So this is interesting. This is NRF52 TFT feather. So it's got NRF52, and it's got actually it's got that magnetometer on there. So it's kind of like a feather sense. Um, it's got you know RAM, a microphone. Um, humidity temperature sensor, IMU, you know, power supply stuff. And on the other side is uh, the TFT, USB, uh, user battery, reset battery, and, and uh, so user and reset button and, and a battery. So kind of like the ESP32 TFT boards that I made, but with an NRF52840. Uh, Scott recommended it. He's like, oh, he's like, I'm doing some stuff with Bluetooth. It would be great to do Bluetooth and have a little display. And the clue does it, but it was like, maybe we could make a feather. So um, I whipped this up. Let's see. This is, um, oh, this is a tiny OLED display. I don't know if I can show it. But this is like a little 64 by 48, I think, sized OLED display with I squared C. It's going to be very tiny. And just went through actually a lot of revisions. This is a very old design that I just sort of keep forgetting about. Um, but hopefully I'll, I'll get back to it. Um, this was a request. Somebody wanted a STEMIQT hub board so you could, like, have, you know, STEMIQTs with five connectors. So this way you can, if you don't want to chain them, if you want to have them be a star pattern, you know, maybe lower uh, lower the capacitance or something. So this is, um, this is that design. It's all passive. Let's see. This is, uh, this was a weird idea. I had this thought of making you know, a, a STEM IQT friend for driving NeoPixels. So this is like, you know, a kind of an interesting board. It has a ATtiny817 with I squared C and then, you know, a three pin connector for um, NeoPixel out and then a power in connector. So because the, the STEM IQT cables can't carry more than like 200 milliamps. So this could be interesting like, oh, I just want to, you know, quickly put together 
um, NeoPixels on, like, I think it was because we had a couple people who were like, oh, I want to drive NeoPixels on this weird-ass chip that doesn't have, it's not fast enough, or, um, you know, it's a, it's a single board length computer because you can't get a Raspberry Pi. And I was like, oh, well, this maybe could be a little, a little helper friend. I don't know. I whipped it together. This is this, this older design. This is the HUSB. So this is a uh, USB-C PD device. Um, it's an interesting chip that has, you can set the uh, current with uh, resistors. There's little jumpers here. Or you can use I2C. So there's a little breakout down here. You can connect I2C. Um, if you want to, like, change the USB VID, you know, or, like, configure the voltage and current over I2C. I just thought it was interesting, so I made a little breakout for it. Um, this is a PC joystick to a STEM IQT adapter. Um, PC joysticks are weird. I think we covered it, like, a couple weeks ago because they use, you know, obviously they have two analog inputs and then GPIO, and then the analog inputs are actually, like, rheostats and not potentiometers and so um there's a couple passives here but uh i have to get that connector that we spec'd a couple weeks ago get on order and then this shouldn't be too bad it's just gpio and analog reads but a good a good thing for a stemma you know, seesaw board because it requires both analog um, and digital in um this is also an older design this is sort of like a little joy pad also with a seesaw and uh, STEM IQT. I, I do projects sometimes and I need like a gamepad input and I'm like, ah, I don't want to wire up like eight buttons. Um, so this is just, you know, be a simple I squared C with analog and um, four pad and then start select. So, you know, if I ever make little games, it's a quick way to, um, to get them up and running. Uh, this is for the Goof C. This is a G, this is a Genicom UV C sensor which it's i squared c sensor which i actually got i think we spec'd it a while ago and um this is so hard to get uv sensors i like to i know like we keep introducing them and they get discontinued but hopefully this one will stick around genicom makes a lot of uv sensors so i think they'll they'll keep it uh okay so we did the metro mini um so this is actually kind of interesting because um this board um it's a metro mini and i had to well so we ended up did get, we are going to get some Atmega 328s, but I wasn't sure we would. And so I was like, well, while I'm at it, let me like redesign the Metro Mini to like the Metro Mini V2. So it's USB-C and it has a STEM IQT connector and then a couple of the little parts just like tweaked around. And it's also using a smaller QFN chip. Um, I was able to get like a couple hundred of these QFNs. So it's basically pin compatible and chip compatible with the Metro Mini, but USB-C, um, can use the um, WCH9102, because again, like CP2102s are impossible to get. And I like the SemiQT connector, because honestly, I might just build this, you know, even if it doesn't go to the store immediately, I'll build a prototype, because I'm always using a Metro Mini for testing out my sensors. So, very handy, less wiring for me. Um, ENS160, it's a little breakout for uh, it's a funky package. It's like three by three pads, square pads. This is an environmental sensor. I don't remember the company. Um, it's not Sensorion, somebody else, but it's a, you know, it's like an it's alternative to um, the uh, BME 688, I think. I think it does like gas sensing as well as um, VOC sensing. This is the 
ultra wideband feather somebody was asking about. So the feather wing, just PCB came in. Um, haven't put it together, so it's still shrink wrapped, but maybe one day. Um, and then finally, um, the AD5693, which I believe is a DAC. I actually don't remember what this was. I think it's a 16-bit DAC or maybe, yeah, I think it's like a high high resolution DAC. Most DACs are like 10, 12 bits, and so I think this is a high-res DAC. I don't remember. A lot of prototypes. All right, so this is my prototype pile. Okay. For... Oh, not out yet. Don't ask. Yeah, so these are these might be don't ask, don't ask. Don't ask, don't um, ask. But this might just be some uh, friendly advice. Yeah. Is there a reason to keep trying to design around the S2, or should they focus on the S3 since the S2 modules are going to end at some point. The S2 module is not going to end. They, they're going through an ECO, so they're not discontinued. Um, they just made a little bit of a fix. I think they improved the RF performance. So they're, they're definitely still around, and they're they're coming out with a Rev2 that's pin compatible because I asked them about it. Um, and that's not a problem. Whether you want the S2 or the S3, I mean, there are trade-offs. The S2 has a DAC. The S3 has a TFT driver. The S3 uses more power because it's got dual core. The S2 is a little bit more mature. I don't think there's any, you know, I mean, if you use the modules, they're essentially pin compatible. Uh, so use whichever one you like. Okay. But, I, yeah. I, I could answer this one. Any plans to make an RP2040 with the module that Pico W uses? Bluetooth Classic would be nice on a feather. Just came out. We're looking at not sure. Yeah, we don't, we don't have, you know, Raspberry Pi would basically have to release the module. Like, we don't have that access uh, to that chip. Um and they do. And so, um, you know, it'd be cool. Maybe one day they'll make a module. I think it would be great. Um, but for now, just use the, the Pico as is. Um, note that Bluetooth Classic support isn't isn't there quite yet either for that Have module. Notice JLC PCB shipping has, pricing has increased. All pricing has increased. Everything. Everything's more Nothing's expensive. gotten cheaper. Nope. Except for... Love know, is still free. Yeah, human life. The only thing that's going to be cheaper. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's do the INMPI. We have INMPI. And we'll do the great search. And we have great search. Okay. So let's... Uh, we have to catch up. We're one week behind. Yeah, let's kick it off. INMPI. All right. INMPI this week brought to you by DigiKey and Adafruit. INMPI is when we look at the latest and greatest... Cool stuff and more on digikey.com. This is General Tools. This is uh, one of their graphics. I grabbed that from Twitter. What did they make and what is this week's INMPI that is on DigiKey? Okay, so last week's INMPI was physically big, so I did the office, but this one's physically small. So we thought we could we would do this uh, from the desk of Lady Ada. So uh, this week's INMPI is um, the uh, Jonard uh, micro deburring tool. And so, you know, debugging tools are not new. I know you've probably been like, I've seen these before. Why is this an INPI? But I remember the first time I saw a debugging tool, I was at the Media Lab, um, and Saul Griffith was showing me, like, you know, I drilled something out, and I was, like, trying to file the hole or the cut, and he was like, They're gonna, that's going to take forever. It's a pain. You have to, like, jig it. You have to hold in the vise, and you're going to mar it. Um, the best thing to use is to use a debugging tool. And he picked this up and handed it to me, and I was like, he showed me how to use it. I was like, oh, my God, this thing is so cool. So I do recommend if you don't own one, uh, it's a good idea. They're only 20 bucks, and they are super useful. So a deburring tool, I mean, this is, I just grabbed the graphic. Um, 
basically it's this curved S blade that sits in a ball bearing and it's got a nice handle. Um, traditionally they were used for cleaning uh, pipes. So like if you're a plumber or an electrician and you're cutting a conduit or a copper pipe or PVC pipe, you cut it and you know there's all these little like bits and pieces and burrs left over from the cutting edge uh, and you use a deburring tool to clean up, especially if you want to fit pipes together and you want them to be flush, uh, or you want to glue things, and you didn't want to have any, uh, as my parents would say, schmutz in the way. So this is what a deburring tool normally is used for, but it's also used for, um, and this is a, you know, a nice demo. Um, it also can be used for other stuff like 3D prints and PCBs, um, uh, especially when I was um, making PCBs with uh, copper etching. You know, I would, I would laminate and then copper etch with ferric chloride, or Cooper chloride the uh, the copper off, uh, and then I would cut the PCBs down with. Um, I, I can even show them my my uh, diagonal cutters, not diagonal cutters, my um, sheet metal cutters. They always leave like kind of a, a gross burr at the end, and I would use the deburring tool to clean it up and make it nice and pretty. Um, so you know it's pretty easy to use. You just grip with your hand. It's nice because you don't have to use a um, vice, and you don't have to jig your tool so it's like especially for round stuff or delicate stuff it doesn't get hurt and then you just kind of do this elegant swiping motion which i'll show you uh it takes a few moments to get used to it if you've never you know the first time you'll, you'll get stuck but just practice it for a minute or two and then you'll have a uh, beautiful deburred uh outputs um and then i found some photos of because i was like oh like can i find any photos or videos of people deburring turns out there aren't any i mean i'll show it live but I did, show, I did get this uh, nice picture. Um, this is an amplifier. Uh, actually, can you look at the next picture? This is, I think I swapped the two pics. So this is like an amplifier I saw on, on Flickr. Um, somebody, you know, they printed out this um, a template. You, you paste it on top of a box, and then you use a hole saw or a drill to cut through. But you see how, if you go back to uh, the previous one, um, it's all really rough. This is exactly where you would use a deburring tool. You go in and you just scrape away and it's like so satisfying. You scrape away all those burrs and you get like a beautiful, uh, slightly countersunk finish. Uh, and then don't forget also to pick up extra blades. The blades do go dull, especially if you're using them on metal. Um, you can use, uh, these, uh, deburring tools on, you know, brass and copper Mild steel, not stainless steel. Aluminum is fine. Uh, of course, all sorts of plastics. We'll work on glass. Um, anything kind of soft. Foam is too soft, but you know maybe uh, modeling foam is okay. Like the kind of firm stuff that you would use with uh, your Modella or your um, uh, CNC. You know, not not uh, super hard stuff, but like the kind of firm stuff. And of course, all sorts of woods um, as well. So. Uh, also, I did want to shout out while, you know, after you book your order on DigiKey, uh, go check out the Gennard Tools TikTok, which is filled with really good videos on how to use hand tools um, and like details and they answer questions. You can ask them questions about their tools and they'll answer them as well. But for now, I thought maybe before we pop over the video, I could show a live, live demo of yeah. this tool. Let me make sure I'm... Okay, good. So yeah, so this is the handle. I'll say um, the handle does not open. There's some tools I've seen that the handle opens to hold the um, blades, but this one doesn't. Uh, to change the blades really easy, you, you pull this down and this releases to reinstall. 
uh, you pull it in and it does a nice click. And then this moves freely. Um, so for example, you know, this is a nice 3D print, but let's say you had um, a burr edge on the 3D print. I like to put my thumb to support it. And then you can just scrape to create a nice edge. You can see like it's, it's giving me a nice, um, much smoother, non-sharp edge. And this is resin. So it goes from having like a nice sharp edge to a nice smooth edge. Um, the other thing I use it for, hold on, it's to, uh, you know, clean up the edge. Also, you can see this, this makes a nice, uh, clean, smooth cut and you'll get a smooth deburring edge and then you can go the other direction as well. So a nice little tool, um, definitely easier than sanding, especially if you, if you have stuff like plastic that you can't sand or it'll, um, gum up your sandpaper or your file. Um, this doesn't gum up because it's got a blade on it. And then finally, not recommended, but something I do do. But again, if you're doing this, make sure that you are doing it with a vacuum or over a trash can is if you have a hole, like I had holes in my PCBs that were mounting holes that were too small. Um, you can go in and like very carefully, you can either countersink them or enlarge them. Not what it's supposed to do, it's not meant for fiberglass, and of course you want to clean up the fiberglass dust real well, but I have done it. Um, it works of course better on paper phenolic. Um, for paper phenolic it works great. So sometimes if like I'll mill a shape or I'll cut a shape and I need to have it be a little cleaner or a little bit bigger, I'll go in with the deburring tool as well. So deburring tool. This one's mine. I actually bought it for myself, but also a great INMPI. And that's this week's INMPI. Do you want to... Um play their video yeah let's play their video because they do that they have more yeah details. i should say you know available on digikey they have some stuff. uh there's a few left in stock so make sure to get it and we're gonna play this video see you on the other side in two minutes hey guys ed here from john r tools today i want to talk to you about one of our latest new products the DB-5. The DB-5 is a microduct deburring tool. This tool is perfect for prepping the inside of microducts for termination or connectorization. The tool features the following. A high-speed steel blade that has 0.71 inches of cutting edge. S-shaped design makes it nice and easy to use. Ergonomic rubberized handle which gives you comfort and good secure grip, easily removable blade. We sell replacement blades. The replacement blade part number is DB-5RB. Simply pull the collet down, insert the blade back, listen for the click, and the tool is ready to go. Let me show you how to use it. Simply take the tool, insert it into the duct, rotate several times. You now have a nice clean chamfered end. Doesn't matter the size of the tube, it'll work on something very small as this as well. And you can see nice edge on it. This tool will also work on PVC pipe, high density polyethylene tubes and piping. It will also work on steel, copper, and aluminum conduit or ducts. 
Thank you for watching our video. Please take a moment, like, share, comment below, subscribe to our channel to see the latest videos from Jonar Tools. So uh, you want to roll right into the Great Search? Yes. Okay, Great Search coming up. The Great Search. Every single week, Lady Ada uses her powers of engineering to help you find the things you're looking for on digikey.com. Lady Ada, what is this week's Great Search? Okay, so this week, sorry, I was just putting all my all my deburring tools away. Um, this week's Great Search is a request by a customer. Hold on, actually, let me get the let me get the right. Oh my God, we have so many products. Okay. So um, this is a request by a customer, somebody who had a bunch of LED matrices and they said, hey, um, on the back of the matrix is this uh, power connector and uh, you have these connectors that you sell, but I want to um, get that connector itself and uh, do you know the part number? And it's like, you know, I've, I've, somebody even made the joke, they're like, they're always called Molex connectors, um, but these are... Uh, 0.2 inch spacing uh, connectors, and they've got this kind of funky latch. Let me see if I can. We also sell the individual cable, so I'll show you what the latch looks like. So the question is, like, how do you um, find that matching cable power cable power cable? One moment. Here it is. Um, this particular latching, you know, arrangement, how do you, how do you find the exact connector when it's just like, you know, you, whenever you buy the matrix, you always get the connector with it. And so I thought, well, let's try to figure out how, how to find a similar connector. I think this one, I, you know, I posted in the forum and I answered them. Um, but let's, let's try to figure out how to get this connector. So having measured it, it's, um, I know it's 0.2 inch spacing. So this is called, you know, like a rectangular connector. Rectangular connector. And, you know, they're always called Molex connectors, but they're not actually, they're not necessarily made by Molex. Um, oh, let me turn on the beta, because that way you can see images. So rectangular connectors, um, the closest one is going to be like this, although this is free hanging in panel mount, but I think I went to this one. Yeah. So this, actually, sorry, I want the, I think I want the free hanging in panel mount. Let me see these images. Yeah, I think this one's closer. Okay, let's try this one. If it doesn't, we'll, we'll do the other one. So um, this connector, this connector is four pins, one row. So let's do one row, four pins. And let's apply and let's see what we get. Okay, cool. Yeah, now we're getting. Actually, I don't know if this is it's this category or the other. Oh, this one's getting kind of close. Okay, so um, let's also look for active because we only want to find stuff that's around, and we want uh, free hanging and inline because we want it to be. It's like this loose cable. Although is it? You know, now I'm not, 
I'm not so sure. I think actually I do want to be in the other category. Yeah, I think I do. I'm sorry, it's not freaking hanging because it connects. It's not freaking hanging because it connects back to the um, to the PCB. So I actually do want rectangular connectors. Sorry, pretend I didn't do that. Um, that's what it's like searching. Okay, try again. Number of rows one. Number of connectors four. Active. And then apply. Okay, yeah, now we were now we're like we're getting closer. So it's actually this is not too not too far away. So the next question is I wanted that little like hook latch thing. Like this because this is a very unique um, element. And so this was called a latch holder or a latch lock. It seems like there's both kinds. So I want to add that on. Actually, let me do the the pitch next. So I think this was 508.2 uh, inch. You can, of course, measure with your um, calipers. And yeah, so we had a couple of good options here. So then again, I wanted to get something that was latch lock or latch holder. So let's look at latch lock and latch holder. Locking ramp is a little different. Locking ramp. There isn't a little uh, piece that you 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 don't um, you press it down to release like and it and it bends out rather than lifts up. And then let me see what else. There's receptacle versus not free hanging. And then let's look. Okay, so then this actually wasn't uh, too bad. Now this is actually where I started looking at the photos. Um, so this is not, this has a, like, I think this is like a friction lock. This one is, seems really similar. This one does not, this one does not. So I actually just kind of went through and I looked at them all because there's only like 20. Like, this was actually kind of a cool connector, but also the wrong kind. And in the end, this is actually really close. Now remember, this is just the connector, not the cable. So when I looked at this, I was like, okay, it's got like the little like little leggies and the latch, leggies and the latch, and and then this is like nice and rectangular and slim, looked good, and you'll need the crimp connectors as well. So this is in stock. So I would probably pick this up. Now I did tell the person, we sell the cable. You're better off taking a cable and cutting and splicing it. But if you do want it, you can get um, also the matching uh, connectors they have here. And then in the data sheet, they'll often, oh, they do not tell you. You can take more measurements, but they'll sometimes tell you the contacts. Economy power, seems likely. Under economy power, go to contacts, then you'll see the matching. It's part of the same series of connectors. Um, so you'll see the crimps here for socket, tin, 22 to 26 gauge and then 18 to 22 gauge. So that makes sense. I think like, you know, if I was going to be um, making these RG matrices and I, I want an economic power connector, I use the TE economy power. And then don't forget also, um, you know, they're expensive, but if you're making a lot of these cables, get the crimper. 
If you're not getting the official crimper, at least get a standard crimper. Do not use pliers to crimp. Um, but other than that, this I think is the best bet. So I think this is the connector. I'm actually going to try to contact the factory that makes these RGB matrices and ask them because like maybe they do have... The problem is oftentimes the connector that they're using is like a knockoff part number that has some basis in, in an American or European company. But it's like three generations down. Um, you know, I've seen this with JST-SM connectors. Like what you're getting often, it says JST-SM, but they're not truly JST connectors. They're like clones of clones of clones of clones. So, but I think this is the closest one to match. So um, I let them know and they're going to try it out. I'm also going to maybe order one of these and just make, you know, see if I can press fit it on. See if it uh, fits onto the connector and the little latch thing um, clicks into place. That's a great search. Okay, and I think we were going to show uh, one last thing, the co-pilot thing, right? Oh, I forgot to log in, so no. I don't, I didn't, uh... Oh, yeah? Yeah. Sorry. Maybe we'll do a little video during the week. Oh, got it. Um, well, let me just tell everybody about Let's talk, it. talk about it, yeah. yeah. I, I, so, I also forgot. Cause so here, so here's on. the thing. Everyone has an opinion about co-pilot, or they will. And basically, the, the controversy side of this is you're a developer... And you're uh, using Copilot, you pay for it, it's a service, and it uh, puts in code as you work on code. Yeah. Where'd you get the code from? Well, it was code that was on GitHub, or maybe even other places. And there's probably going to be some type of court case to decide, were they allowed to do that um, or not? That's not how we are going to use it, though or at least experiment. So one of the things that um, we're playing around with is we cut and paste our code in. All the time. And our code is definitely in Copilot um, because we have open source code. And uh, we wanted to have it decide or say what is going on in this code. So instead of it writing new code, it looks at the code and it says in English terms, or more <laughs> more simplified English terms, here's what's going on. So that's one application of it. And the other one, um, library stuff. Yeah, so commenting, libraries, Doxygen. I don't know. It could be interesting. Um, you know, a lot of our libraries are very similar. We use a lot. I mean, we don't copy and paste all the code, but the structure is very similar. Um, so we're wondering if, you know, I know that there's automatic, you know, um, I've used IDEs that are like, they'll make all your setters and getters for you. Um, but it'd be interesting to see if, if that could work within uh, VS Code, you know, using um, OpenAI or like GPT-3 or, or Copilot. So I'll, I'm going to try it out and I'll, I'll see how it goes and then we can do a little video this week maybe. Yeah. It so, be interesting. I mean, I read open source code. I, like, I'd like it to train on my code base. We have like 1,500 GitHub repos. Yeah, videos. what would like, be cool is um, an option for people like us to say, okay, use that giant AI machine, only pull from our code, yeah. and let us use that as a tool, because that'd be kind of cool. So um, anyways, um, this morning I was cutting and pasting in some of our code, and I would type explain this, and I put a chunk of code in, and it would say, oh, this is what you're doing with pins and LEDs. I actually gave a pretty good explanation. Yeah. So. Um, anyways, kind of interesting. interesting. Okay. Okay, I think we, yeah, that's we it. did it all. That's it. We did okay. everything. And that is...
Desk of Lady Ada for tonight. Good night, Jam everybody. Packed. Bye, everybody.